0: Open the Bible to a Book of Revelation. If you want to, you can actually just start at Revelation one because we're going to go through the whole thing. Uh, and so, in case you missed one week or every week, it's a great day to be here today because my goal is to talk about all of Revelation, one of the most, I think, the most hard, the, the most difficult to interpret book in all of Scripture. And I'm just going to explain the whole thing in a span of ten minutes. On Amazon, I looked up those 10-minute hourglass things, and I ordered it prime. It's supposed to deliver yesterday. It's coming to my house today at noon. You know, So instead of putting up the hourglass, what we're going to do is have a countdown on, and you're going to hold me to it. Now, if this was a youth group, I would say if I don't make it in 10 minutes, you get to shave my head. But guess what, guys? I'm not a youth pastor to the glory of God anymore, so you can't do anything to me if I don't hit the 10-minute mark. But the goal is to do that, and that's just to keep you guys engaged. And we're really going to sit at the end in Revelation 19, the one chapter we haven't really, uh, really started yet. So don't start the timer yet. I actually can't see the timer. So uh, don't tell me if I'm going over My wife will do that. Okay, let's pray And uh, ask the lord to be with us. God, thank you so much just for our deacons How wonderful is that? Thank you god for these kids in this house. It's a special day um god, I just pray that We've been learning a lot in revelation and a lot to be able to discern our times That we're in and I just pray that we are becoming more disciples of you that we are people of love joy and peace that we operate in the mentality of of power love and a sound mind and i pray that today is the same blessing father son holy spirit give us the attention we need to lean in to such a wonderful book we we speak against the spirit of fear we speak against the spirit of tribalism where we take this book to to slam it over people's heads instead god may we take this book as a call to be disciples, to love our neighbor as ourselves, to make much of your name, and to know that, God, without you, we can't do this. In Jesus' name I pray. Everybody says, amen. Let the timer begin. Revelation 1, we looked at at the beginning of summer. We talked about how there's, just based off that one chapter, there's three ways to interpret the rest of the letter. We learned that St. John is a theologian. What that means is when you read the book of Revelation, it's more important to read it Christologically, meaning where's Christ in this passage, than it is reading it chronologically, we think the biggest mistakes people make is thinking this was all written in a right order. And now that Revelation 15 just happened last week, now we're ready for 16. It doesn't happen that way. It's all over the map. It's just by which John saw the next vision. It doesn't mean that's when it happened. Another thing we learn is he's a pastor to the seven churches, which means he has a pastoral heart. And so when we read all of Revelation, the focus needs to be on discipleship, not on decipherment. It's not like the national treasure where we got to take a candle, pour some lemon juice on it, and see the secret hidden meaning, and see what happens with the Twin Towers in 2001. None of that. This is, there is a plain message we can read if we're willing to wrestle with the text, and it's to change us. Lastly, we learn in Revelation 1 that John is a poet, meaning we read Revelation literarily, not literally. Meaning, it's not like a newspaper, it's more like a political cartoon where you see something like a beast. It's not an actual beast, it's communicating something even bigger and much larger, really. That's Revelation 1. That was in a minute and a half. We're in trouble. Revelation 2 and 3, he shows us there's these seven letters to these seven churches, and Jesus has this three-point sermon. He affirms each church for what they're doing well. He rebukes them for where they're not, and he motivates them to keep pressing on. We knew, we learned, this. those seven letters in two, chapters 2 and 3 are written to the first century church, but hear me, they are for every single century, every church, and we're going to be diving into that in the month of September. When you boil it down, Jesus affirms the type of church who are people of love, who avoid heresy, and endure hardship. How am I doing on time? Okay, I don't know. Revelation 4 through 5 there is now this image of a scroll and the scroll is being passed around and everybody's saying, who can open the scroll? And everybody's sad because they're saying no one can open it. This scroll is the purpose of your life, but also the meaning of all of history. It's the answer. The answer everyone is looking for, different philosophies, different religions, and it's bound in this scroll. And there is this moment of like, oh no, no one knows the answer. And then there is this lion who is a lamb who comes in and says, oh brother, I can open the scroll. I'm the one with meaning. I'm the one with purpose. Come to me. Your life actually does make sense. There is hope. There is a future for you. And so we learned on that day, man, we have hope because of the lamb who was slaughtered because of us, who was slaughtered instead of us, and who was slaughtered for us. If any of these things interest you, go to passioncreek.church slash teaching slash revelation because I'm not going to explain anymore. Revelation 6 to 18, one week we talked about judgment. We learned, actually, you'll see all throughout Revelation, is a lot about judgment, but that is a good thing. There is evil going on in this world. There is injustice. We want something to be done about that, or else he wouldn't be a good God. And so these these judgments are seen in three different sets of images. Seven seals, seven trumpets, and then seven bowls. We look together specifically at the seals. And we learn that because God is a God of who is slow to anger and full of compassion, these judgments, hear me, are purgative they're meant to be purgative meaning they're meant to purge us they're meant to wake us up and go we don't know how to live life without christ we need to run to him or this punishment comes our way so it's meant to be purgative but eventually it becomes punitive eventually it means if you don't come to jesus you will suffer the punishment of these judgments. Then we talked about the four horsemen, which are the white horse leading to deception. We see deception in our era today all over the place. The red horse, which is all about violence. Do we not see violence all over the globe? The black horse, which equals famine. We see that everywhere still. And then the pale green horse is sickness leading to death. We have certainly seen that even within the last few years at a cranked up rate. And we ended that kind of passage saying, look, the horsemen ramp up when the church stands up, but we're going to have victory, so we have to keep standing up against these horsemen. Revelation 12 through 13, we we then introduce the unholy trinity. The unholy trinity is the dragon who is the devil, the sea beast who is the state, politics, political powers, and then the earth beast is propaganda. And these three conspire to destroy the church. They've already lost against King Jesus on the cross. At least what they can do is to destroy you and me, those who follow the Lamb. And Michael J. Gorman, he had this great quote about propaganda, which we see every day today. It says, The function of propaganda is to make evil look good, the demonic divine. Violence look like peacemaking. Tyranny and oppression look like liberation. Do we not see that? today. Our argument is that you'll see this in every generation. Sometimes other generations it ramps up, other times it seems to settle, and then it ramps up again. So you'll see this in every generation. One more thing about the unholy trinity. They want the church to either commit violence against other people, make us against anybody. That's not the way of Jesus. They want us to silence, not stand up for what is right. Or they want us just compliance, just to look just like Babylon, to do what everybody else is doing because everybody else is already doing it. Now, Pastor Caleb had the joy of bringing good news. Revelation 11 and 14 contains a lot of hope. It's about the witnesses. It's about these three angels. And this whole idea is those three angels promise three things. And we can take hope in this in the midst of really hard times number one the gospel will spread to the ends of the earth so we should be all about missions because that's the one thing jesus says it's gonna work number two babylon which is the city of man which is any time we'll talk about in the next thing just corruption that's not gonna last it will end even though it doesn't look like it today number three judgment will come and all will be made right this gives us hope to be patient To endure in suffering, not to give in to violence, silence, or compliance. Are you with me? Do I have any time left? Oh, look at this. I'm getting a full head of hair still today. All right. Next one Revelation 17 through 19. We looked at this last week. We kind of taught out of order, which is kind of important because we wanted to teach you. It's not chronological. 17 through 19 Babylon is the city where the unholy trinity uses. the city for destruction so we talked about last week how babylon's a prostitute what does a prostitute do it perverts it deceives it seduces and you and i have to recognize you and i can be seduced by the culture going against the way of jesus the main thrust of what we talked about last week is the prostitute seeks to seduce the church you and me by normalizing the sins of babylon right? The things that generations ago used to say was completely wrong, now even the church says, well, maybe it's not that bad. That is what Babylon does. It seduces us to lower the standard that God's word has put in for us. But here's the good news. This city who seeks to be divine always becomes demonic and it self-destructs. Babylon will not prevail, but the kingdom of God, the city of God, will rule and reign forever. And that's what Revelation 20 through 22 is all about. This is how it all ends. We have a more compelling answer. Hear me. Revelation. I want us to come away knowing it's not just about if you were to die today, where do you go? Oh, you're going to be a soul floating in a cloud and a harp in heaven for eternity. That's not the full answer. Pastor Caleb did a great job talking about that. It's much more beautiful than that. The reality is, is Jesus is coming back To not destroy the world, but to redeem it and restore it and to make it new. There's a new heaven and a new earth. You and I will have resurrected bodies. Our relationships will be reconciled. All these things that we groan about will one day be made right. We won't have any more tears, any more crying. Infertility will be a thing of the past. Any of these pains that we feel so deeply is now washed away. End time. You get it in times, in time, never mind. It worked on my notes, and uh, scratch out, don't do that again. All right, I did it, all right? So the reality is we, we could have spent a whole another year on this book. I've actually found when we do that, we tend to add some things to it, so I wanted to just give a huge overview and hopefully empower you enough to study on your own. If you're somebody who wants to study this even further, I would suggest one book for you, Two, but let's just stick with this one. Talk to me after service about the other one. Daryl Johnson has a wonderful book called Discipleship on the Edge. It is a line-by-line, verse-by-verse summary of what Revelation is really about, and it's been really helpful for us in this series. So again, if Revelation is helpful to you, there's a lot of stuff we didn't answer. Uh, That book probably will answer it for you. Now, before we move on to simplicity, so our church, we do different formation series. We've been talking about being formed by scripture, which is why we just studied the hardest book in the Bible. Next week, we're going to start simplicity. Before we rush to that, there's two main ideas I just really want us to leave with before we move on from Revelation. Are you ready for it? Number one, Revelation shows us that without God, we can't. That's a huge takeaway. See, the worlds alternative to revelation's salvation message is just optimism right we, we just think well the world's bad but it'll get better how do we know that without god how can we be sure the world will get better there's really two different forms of optimism that the culture is trying to push today and i hate to say it but it's just will always fail number one is moral optimism right if we just bring morals back into our family things will get better if people were just good people, then crime would leave the streets, families would be made whole, our politics would be unified. Friends, that doesn't work. We are bent in our hearts. We run towards sin and corruption. But another solution, a lot of people, that's more on the right side of the political aisle, let's just be moral again, which I'm not against. But the other side of the aisle is technological optimism. All of our problems are things like sickness, and so if we find the right medicine, we'll live longer, and we will be happier. The biggest issue in the world is things like poverty and pollution, and so if we just get the right tech, everything will be made better. The problem is, our hearts are still corrupt. Even if this earth was completely clean, you and I still have vengeance in our hearts. We have resistance towards our neighbor. It doesn't solve the problem. Revelation wants you to realize you and I are not the solution. In our own power, we pervert things, we twist things, and we corrupt things... And not only in our own power, but we also have this thing called the unholy trinity, the devil, the state, and propaganda pushing us even more towards things like violence, silence, and compliance. So there really is no hope if it were left up to us. But the good news we see in Revelation 19 is we have a husband, and this husband of the church fights for us and protects us and does what you and I are too weak to do in our own power. Revelation 19, look at verse 6. Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, like the rumbling loud thunder saying, hallelujah, because our Lord God, the almighty reigns. This word hallelujah is found all throughout the Bible. But did you know this is the first time it appears in the New Testament? Hallelujah is everywhere in the Old Testament. What is it? Why? Why? Anytime you see hallelujah in the Old Testament, it actually is tying back to the Exodus. If you remember the story of the Exodus, the Israelites were being oppressed by the Pharaoh, and when they got taken out, when God was the one who rescued them, not man, right? When God is the one who brought them out, they said hallelujah, great is our Lord, he is our deliverer. And so the Israelites would know, when you hear the word hallelujah, it's about us being rescued from that city of man. And John, all the New Testament writers don't use it yet. John goes, oh, we're going to use that word again. And now it's an even bigger picture. We're not just rescued from Egypt. We're rescued from Babylon. All city of man, all corruption, we are now rescued and brought to victory. Look at verse 7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come And his bride has prepared herself. We know in Ephesians, the bride is you and I, the church. This is an imagery of the marriage between Jesus and us, which is a wonderful picture. Verse 8, she was given uh, fine linen to wear, bright and pure. Guys, you and I will be purified. Our sins will be forgotten. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, These words of God are true. He is mentioning a meal. And the good news about a meal is a, a meal is where strangers become friends and friends become family. In the ancient Near East culture, if you brought somebody over to a meal, you were saying you are now family. We love you. You see all throughout the Bible, miracles happen, reconciliation occurs over a meal. And what this is pointing to is there will be a meal that ends all meals. There will be a feast that ends all feasts. And we look forward to that. But what do we do about that verse right now? As people in Revelation, we're not in chapter 19 yet. In the meantime, you and I partake in communion. A lot of us, when we partake in communion, which we're going to offer at the end of the service, or at the end of my message, we tend to think the communion is just looking back, which is certainly is a part of it, right? So when we uh, partake in the in the bread, it represents his body that was on the cross, right? That w- that was crucified on our behalf. And then we take the blood, the cup, it's not blood, I promise. We take the cup that represents the blood, and that was shed so that you and I would be forgiven. And so typically for us, when we take communion those who are believers in the way of jesus if you're not that's okay don't don't partake but it's remembering that event in the past revelation 19 reminds us when we take communion also we look forward because although we just have now bread and a cup we look forward that one day the whole church will be together and the greatest meal of all time the ultimate supper with the lord Do you guys see that and so this is what we do on a weekly basis when we take communion. This is how we fight the fight. We remember the promise that God saved us from the penalty of our past. God is saving us from the power of sin in the present. And God will save us from the presence of sin in the future. This is the good news that John wants us to remember. We look forward to the day when sin is all history. Corruption, Babylon is gone. So that's the first thing we have to remember as relieving revelation. Without God, we can't. And when we take communion, we are saying to God, God, not nothing in my hands I bring, simply to Christ I cling. I'm taking this to show I cannot earn my way to, to salvation. I cannot save myself. I cannot outsmart my, any of my problems. Jesus, I need you to save me. I need you to give me wisdom and knowledge. I need you to give me the purpose, right? So that's number one. Without God, we can't. But another huge message we see in Revelation is without us, God won't. This is actually one of my favorite quotes from St. Augustine in the fourth century. Without God, we can't. Without us, God won't. There's something about, in Revelation, the goodness of God that always seeks to include us in his plan to redeem the world. Revelation is written to seven churches. It's written to us to stay in the fight and to know as you persevere, you will be a part of the victory. That somehow our suffering and our endurance and us being different from the world is the very thing that only, not only saves us, but those around. Look at verse 11 now in chapter 19. Then I saw heaven opened, and there was a white horse. Its rider is called Faithful and True, and with justice he judges and makes war. Who is this person on the white horse? Kids? <laughs> Jesus. You're like, what? Are you boring? Preach? Okay, cool. Now, verse 12, she gave me a look. His eyes were like a fiery flame, which is mean truth, that like pierces your soul. And many crowns were on his head. He had a name written that no one knows except himself. He wore a robe dipped in blood. What is that blood from? Anybody know? The cross, right? When he died for us. That was actually where the victory already happened. And now he is applying it here in the end. And his name is called the Word of God. The armies that were in heaven followed him on white horses. But notice this, wearing pure white linen. White linen is what priests wore in peacetime. So we are a part of his army, but he's the one who fights. You see that? So Jesus could have just come on the white horse. I don't need the army. I'm going to win. Stay back. I got this. And he is the one who fights. All he has to do is speak a word. But there's something amazing about the Godhead, the Trinity, is he allows us to participate in the victory. And so he invites the church to come along, and we get to wear white because we're saying we're not fighting today, but we're here for the show, right? And we get to be a part of the victory. It's pretty incredible. Look at the next line. As a sharp sword came from his mouth. Remember, political cartoon. Does this mean he'll actually have a sharp sword? I mean, it'd be cool. I I won't say that, you know. But it really means his truth. The word of God is what pierces. That is what, that is what brings about what we need. Comes from his mouth so that he might strike the nations with it. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will also trample the winepress of the fierce anger of God, the Almighty. And he has a name written on his robe and on his thigh, King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is not only a husband, he's a warrior. He's not only tender, but he's tough. Revelation 19 and also 20 assures us of this truth there will be a war that ends all wars. But, especially because of Revelation 18 and everything before that, in the meantime, we practice contradiction. What do I mean by that? What we do, we are called to fight. I love Tommy. He, has, he made his own shirt. <laughs> and it says, fight like a lamb, based off of Pastor Caleb's sermon. I'm not offended. You know, wasn't from my sermon, but whatever. It says, fight like a lamb right? And that's how we fight. We don't actually like take up our swords and go kill our neighbor. We fight like a lamb, meaning we contradict society. We are in the world, but not of the world. If you go and look, you can highlight Revelation 18.4. The Babylon is destructing, and God calls out to the church, come out of Babylon. Meaning, you got to live in it, but you don't have to be of it. You need to zig wherever Babylon zags. You know what I'm saying? This is how we fight. We're different. And it's getting more and more different. You know, the culture is so against the scriptures, we're going to start noticing each other pretty easily. Oh, that nerd over there, he's got to be a Christian. Look at that guy. You know, this is what we're coming towards. We zig when they zag. G.K. Chesterton, one of my favorite quotes, he famously said, it is the paradox of history that each generation is converted by the saint who contradicts it most. Do you know why we're doing all these forum series? We're zigging where the culture is zagging. Do you know why we did a series about Sabbath? Because our culture is exhausted. We zig where they zag. And every generation has the call to contradict its own Babylon. We have been interpreting Revelation as something that continuously happens. Every generation has a version of the unholy trinity. There will be an ultimate one where it all ends, but we all have. There is a dragon. There is a beast, an earth beast, and a land beast. There is. It's happening today, and what we're called to do is to be students, determine, discern how they are contradicting the design of Christ, and we make sure we contradict them and align with Christ. Does that make sense? This is what we're called to do. And here's what I want to say. Our grandfathers and grandmothers did a wonderful job zigging where the culture was zagging, specifically with things like legalism, right? They had to fight things like legalism because they were in a culture of moralism. And so there was a real fear that everybody thought, I can earn my salvation. The typical person today could care less about moralism, our problem at Passion Creek Church has not been legalism. It's been lawlessness. Introducing any rules, we're like, whoa, bro, we're ain't about that. Introducing any kind of discipline, nah, 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 nah. And so, what we've been called to do, fighting lawlessness, because we're in a culture of individualism where nobody can tell us what to do. Well, that's a problem because the Scripture says we need to obey Him. You with me? So there's so many ways our church needs to zig. Where the culture zags, and that's why we've been inviting you to formbyjesus.com. It's our website where we hold all of our teachings. Every three months, we emphasize another practice. We started this in February, the first day we were here. We talked about Sabbath, okay? The next three months, we've been talking about Scripture, right? And after that, uh, tomorrow—sorry, tomorrow. Next week will be simplicity. Let me explain each, and then we will close. So first, we are seeking to become a people committed to the way of rest— because we are in a world of hurry. One of the biggest problems we have right now is everybody's too rushed to listen to the Spirit, too rushed to be with family, too rushed to do what God's designed us to do. We kept saying during the Sabbath series, we block the Holy Spirit because we walk in a hurried spirit. And so we're kind of hoping, we're hoping we haven't graduated. We're still doing this, where we practice this thing called Sabbath 24 hours in a row, one day a week where we stop, rest, delight, and worship. It's Family Sunday. I won't preach that whole thing again, but go to formedbyjesus.com. If you're new to this, we want to invite you into that practice. Me and my wife yesterday, we were practicing Sabbath. I actually had a wonderful one yesterday. The week before, terrible. This is what happens. It's fine. I've been really blessed. There's been a lot of, we've been trying to highlight stories. Again, at formedbyjesus.com, you can see some of our interviews of our people trying out something like Sabbath. And some of y'all are too shy to even go on the podcast or come on the stage, right? And so it's been fun to kind of talk to some of you, kind of give some of the, the feedback. I know like Tim Doty is like, hey man, this Sabbath thing has been like a huge game changer for me. Talking to Jeremy and Annie just a few weeks ago and they're like, we are so grateful for this gift. It has been good for our souls. It's been good for our family. It's such a wonderful thing. Right? We are a people who Sabbath. Why? Because the culture is doing everything but Sabbathing. And we are zigging where they're zagging, not by being angry, not by saying those people over there. We are just following the way of Jesus the best we know how in the culture that we are in. And it takes intentionality to rest because Babylon will never tell you to rest. The next thing is we are committed to the way of truth because we're in a world of lies. Even culture knows we're in a world of lies. I mentioned Mission Impossible last week. I'm going to do it again this week because it's a fantastic movie. But the whole plot of the movie is the world doesn't know the truth anymore. Even Babylon's saying, like, we don't know. Everything's a lie. Who do I trust? And in that world that doesn't know what's truth, we are a people who hold to the authority of Scripture, who understand the story from Genesis to Revelation, who eat this word right? Haggah. We meditate on it day and night, and we obey it. We actually do the things that it says to do, and so we've been sharing stories about that, right? Lexi was over at the podcast last week. We just shared, right? She's talking about how she's been trying to haggah maybe for the first time and learning how to read her scriptures, and she's kind of newer to the faith, and it's been cool to see how God has been using her. These are the stories we want to make much of. This is what we're about, And one, and one more thing, we have a whole list, you can look at it all at formbyjesus.com. But what we're going to talk about starting next week is we're seeking to become a people committed to the way of contentment because we are in a world of consumption. Right? This practice starts next week, so I told myself, don't preach this quite yet. But I think many of us haven't realized the things that we are buying, the things that are getting our attention. Those are the things holding us back from life and life in abundance. And so we're praying starting next Sunday. Next Sunday is a great Sunday to come. It's the start of that. We also have pizza with the pastors. It's just a wonderful day, day to get plugged into the life of our church. But man, consumption, things aren't bad enough in themselves, but man, we have allowed it to run our lives. And so we're going to get together and by God's grace go, you know what, this is really hard. There's stuff. It's going to be difficult. We all have different baby steps. But we are determined to be a people who are content. Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. And so as we close, listen, without God, we can't do any of these practices. In fact, we don't want to do them if he's not there. Right? Like, they're not the point. We're doing these practices because we want his grace. We want access what's already ours we want to move away the distractions so we can live be called up to what we're called to do and so without God we can't do this but also hear me without us God won't there is a lot I believe that God is calling us to in the kingdom here in Queen Creek and the truth is it won't happen unless you and I begin to zig where the culture zags and there's grace every step of the way and we're gonna mess this thing up But man, that is the message of Revelation. Be strong, be steadfast, be patient, endure. Babylon looks like they're winning. Don't play their strategies. Don't normalize their sins. We have the truth, and that truth will set us free. And we don't have to fight with the sword. The lamb has already won the victory. Our job is just to keep zigging where the world is zagging.